we are going to go ahead and get started. We're going to open with a word of prayer. We're going to talk about being a disciple some more, and uh, then we'll go home. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I really do um, I really do love that we get to come together on, in the middle of the week to um, just talk about you, to talk about your word, to experience you, to, to know more about you, to be corrected. Um, it's not always uh, – correction is not always the funnest thing, but it is nice to know that you care about us so much that you will. I pray that you would um, bring healing where there is healing needed. I pray that you bring conviction where there is conviction needed. And I just pray that at the end of tonight we walk out of here different because we've been confronted by the one true God. In his name we pray. Amen. So turn to um, – let's see. Well, there's not really a place to turn to right now. We will be doing some uh, – getting into some verses and I'll just encourage you to write those down as I as I say them. Um, our overarching theme is Matthew 16 and 24 that says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I find that this verse is all the more relevant today than it has been in quite some time. Um, culturally speaking, it's all about finding yourself. It's all about how you identify yourself and, and what and what you feel like is who you are. The Bible tells us what we feel like we are and how we identify ourselves are the, is the very thing we lay our, we lay down and crucify so that we might follow Christ. Um, I find that in following Christ there is no exception to the rule line. You're following after him or you are not. There's no I'm following Jesus but I have all these exceptions to the rule. Jesus says if you're going to follow me, you're going to lay down your life, you're going to carry your cross, and that is going to be how you will follow me. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we have sort of bookend verse uh, scripture themes. One is that there is a definitive cost to following Jesus, but there's also a reward for following Jesus. We're not constantly just giving up stuff to show our our the validity of our faith. We are we are yes, we are sacrificing, we are laying down that old life and our desire and will, but then we're taking up the reward of Christ. And so it's this it's it's not either or, it's both. And so the idea here is to just become a disciple of Jesus, know what it is that disciples do how they operate. The disciples who walked with Jesus, they lived a certain life. They lived a certain way. You think about men like uh, Peter and James and John who gave up everything to just follow after Jesus. Jesus said, come with me. I'll make you fishers of men. They dropped their nets. They left their fathers, and they followed after Jesus. And so this is the type of radical servitude and following that Jesus is calling us to. Now the good news is, and, and, and I don't have the scripture reference here, but Jesus says, I, I preached on it on Sunday, come to me all who are heavy burdened, all those who are tired and weak and weary, and I will give you rest. His, his burden is light. His yoke is light. So we don't, come to, we don't come in fear to Jesus that he'll ask us or make us do something that he himself wouldn't do, A, and B, that is so detrimental it will destroy us. He'll ask us and, and even command us to do things that will stretch us, hurt in the um, discipling sense, but it will be to grow us and to cause us to prosper in a way that we wouldn't without that challenge or without that, um, without that command. 
So in the last few weeks, we've been looking at faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love are three characteristics that every Christian is developing. Um, yes, we can say to ourselves, you know what? I want to be more loving. I want to have more hope. I want to have more faith. But honestly, these three attributes are something that the Lord is doing in you. He is making you more loving towards others. He is making you, uh, he is remaking you rather, uh, in a way that causes you to hope, to not be afraid to hope. I find that the people who are afraid to hope are the ones who have been burned in the past. They've trusted, they've given themselves, they've been vulnerable, only to be uh, dejected and rejected and taken advantage of. And so the cost of hope is very high to them. Well, as a Christian, we're given this great hope. And for the people who haven't really been hurt that badly, it's easy to grasp onto. But those who have been hurt and want to become a disciple of Jesus have to learn how to cross that bridge from not hoping to hoping. And we've spent a couple of weeks talking about hope, and today we're going to talk about faith. So 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope um, extend from love. Um, Paul made it very clear. I believe it's in the same book, 1 Corinthians. Um, it, it, actually, at the very beginning of this chapter, if, uh, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a clanging cymbal. Um, if you've ever heard a really loud clanging cymbal, it's not the most beautiful sound. Um, if you've ever watched a cymbal being made, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. If you have somebody who knows how to play the drums, a cymbal can be played in a very awesome way. But if you have like a five-year-old who just has a stick and a cymbal and just clang, and it's like, oh, it reverberates in your ears and it's just shrill. Um, yeah, that's what Paul says it's like when you speak in the tongue of men, tongues of men and angels, but you don't have love. And if you serve, but you don't have love, and if you prophesy and you don't have love, and you and if you encourage, but you don't have love, and and if you call yourself a Christian and you don't have love, it's it's an empty thing. If you have faith but not love, if you have hope but not love, faith and hope aren't really any benefit to you. They both must be rooted in love and a love that comes straight from Jesus. We're going to talk about faith tonight, and we're just going to talk about uh, four different things that faith is for a Christian. Um, the writer of Hebrews has already said that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I, I, I want to, um, my goal in life is to please God, and I'm not very successful most of the time. At least I don't think that I am. If I'm honest with myself, I say, you know what, I failed here, and I failed here, and I tried my best, but still came up short, and I really want to please him. It's not about our performance, but it's about where we placed our faith. If we place our faith in Jesus, then we are pleasing God. But faith for the Christian is different than faith for the rest of the world. You know, you've tons of the world will say things like, "You have to have faith. You've got to keep the faith. You have to have faith in your, you know, tons of politicians right now are asking us to have faith in them that they can they can correct what's going on in our country." Um, if it's not on the uh, you know the national level, it's just locally with mayors and congressmen and senators. They're they're asking us to have faith in them that they can correct everything that's wrong. And so um, that type of faith is not the faith that the Bible's calling us to. So as a Christian, our faith goes deeper than that. And so I want us to to have a, a better understanding, a more well-rounded understanding of what faith is. So as we leave here tonight. 
to give us things to, to think about, pray about, read about, and then implement as Christians. So the first thing about faith, Christian faith, biblical faith, is that faith is specific. Faith in Christianity is a faith that is rooted in Christ. Christ is not an accessory to our faith. He's not simply just a helper in our faith. Our faith is all in him. I've used that, I use this poor term time and time again. We put all of our eggs into his basket. Our faith is in someone specific. It's Jesus. Now, we are still going to be called to trust people from time to time. Spouses, children, parents, employers. Um, and we exercise a certain level of trust with them. We'll make ourselves vulnerable and that sort of thing. But honestly, at the end of the day, the faith where, where we're supposed to put our faith is in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says this. Chapter 1 verse 11 of Ephesians says, In him we have attain, obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who are who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of uh, to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. In all of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, and really uh, the whole book itself. Um, there's this phrase that's repeated over and over again, in Christ, in him, in Jesus, in love, in the beloved. Uh, continuously, Paul is redirecting the Ephesian church back to Christ. That's where everything is. Our faith is put in him. We've been purchased back. We, our sacrifice has been paid for in him. And, and we receive love in him, and we put our faith in him. Now, this is why I believe men like Paul can say, I've learned how to be content in all situations. Not because he had faith in all situations, but because he had faith in Christ. So when he faced jail time or prison time, he had faith in Christ that, that whatever was going to happen to him, he was going to be okay and taken care of. That even he could say something as bold as, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He knew that, that living meant he could preach the gospel, but dying was even better. Dying meant going to be with the Lord. It didn't – there was no longer fear in Paul. And once, once you no longer have a fear of the world or your flesh or Satan, um, there's really little those things can do to you. If you can erase the fear, nine times out of ten, you can, you can perform pretty well in whatever you're called to do. So take away the fear of things like loneliness or abandonment or rejection, and now you can – operate and do the things Christ has called you to do, like preach the gospel. Some folks won't preach the gospel because they fear being rejected by man. Take the fear element out, and what have you done? You've just simply shared a conversation or shared uh, your faith with somebody else. But our biblical faith is in a specific person. It is in Jesus. Number two, faith is absolutely essential. Um, it is impossible to be a Christian and not have faith in Christ. Now, you might have a very small, just a sliver. Your tank is almost empty. But, man, you've got to have faith in Christ to consider yourself a Christian. 
What that means is those who believe that Christ was a good teacher doesn't make them a, a Christian. Those who believe that Christ was a God of many gods doesn't make them a Christian. Those who have believed in what Jesus has done for them, namely dying on the cross for their sins, conquering sin, Satan, and death by being resurrected from the dead, taking his life, life up again, and, and, and now seated at the right hand of his Father, ruling and reigning for eternity. Those who have placed their faith in him for the forgiveness of their sins, that though I was a sinner, uh, Christ loved me and he and he washed me away with his perfect with his perfect blood like a like a spotless lamb um first peter says that faith is absolutely essential you cannot be a christ follower without having faith in christ there are tons of people around the world they do great things they give to charities they serve the less fortunate but without faith in christ there is no salvation Faith is absolutely essential. Habakkuk 2 and 4, one of the verses we went over just a few weeks ago, Behold, his soul is puffed up. That means the prideful. Uh, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And if you have the, the New Living Translation, it says that the righteous shall live by their faith in their God. Faith is absolutely essential to our Christian walk. Now, will there be times where our faith is very low? Yes. There are going to be times where we are bombarded by the world and by sin, and we're just going to question and wonder and, 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 and just go to God with complaints or arguments or just bitterness or sadness and, and why, why this? But know this, that even when you do that, that's an act of faith. When you go to the Lord in anger, you are going to him knowing that he is. And the in, in Hebrews 11 and 6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please him. Whoever draw near to him must believe that he exists. It doesn't mean that he's a, it doesn't mean you have to believe that he exists and you're absolutely okay with what he's doing right now. Because chances are you're not happy with that. You will be when you see the fruit of right now. But right now, this this momentary light affliction, yeah. It's painful, and and it's going to take some time to get to the place where you appreciate it like that. But going to the Lord like the psalmists did, God, where are you? My enemies are encamping around me. I'm angry. I'm, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm losing hope. You're going to God in faith even there. And I want to encourage you, if that's you tonight, that's okay. God is a God who is big enough to take your anger if you're angry at him, to take your tears if you're if you're sad and, and to take your confusion when everything's chaotic and to somehow some way that being the good loving father that he is take those things and make them work for your good that's the promise of Romans 8:28 faith is absolutely essential to Christians next faith is exclusive so I mentioned this kind of goes along with point number one, that all of our faith is put in Christ. But here's what we're not allowed to do. We're not allowed to put our faith in Christ and something else. Meaning our faith must, our faith must solely be in Christ. One of the, the things that Israel in the Old Testament had to be purged of was not just outright idolatry. They were mingling the worship of God with the worship of pagan demon gods. 
So they weren't completely excluding the one true God. They were just trying to make everybody happy. They were trying to be religiously tolerant. They were being very spiritual. They were being very uh, welcoming because they weren't – they didn't want to offend those who worshipped other gods. But God was very specific to uh, there is one God only, and, and I am him, and you are to worship me. You know, the, in the Old Testament, he calls himself a jealous God. He's not, he's not willing to share us with other people. And so in that, we don't have the license or the liberty to say, you know what, I worship Jesus and this. Our faith must be exclusively in, exclusively in Christ. There are those who will say, now, now for us, maybe it's not the problem of like a, a pagan demon god vying for attention from a Jesus. But maybe our faith is divided in that I believe that Jesus will take care of me as long as I have this. As long as I have this job, this spouse, these children, this possession, this status, this experience. Um, Jesus, the faith is really in this rather than in Christ. And that type of faith is not biblical faith. That type of faith is, is what Jesus called serving two masters. He used it in the example of serving God or serving money. He told uh, the crowds that what was it in Luke uh no sorry Matthew 6 and 24 no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and money or mammon the king james says which is the love of money jesus basically says trying to serve two gods you're really just serving one and trying to clip on the other one to your life to not either upset them or 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 that group or that deity um, or try to get the benefits of both. There's a lot about Christianity that some folks love, and there's a lot they hate. You know, the whole dying to yourself, carrying your cross, that's the, that's the less attractive <laughs> a part of Christianity. The loving your neighbor as yourself, uh, that type of stuff where God, God is love, that's more attractive. People latch on to that. But you can't, you can't pick and choose when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to following Christ. Um, one of the reasons I look like the way I do is because I tend to like buffets a little too much. Anybody like the buffet? Dan, thank you. I got a disciple back there, buffets, Gladys. But we're all honest with ourselves. A buffet generally, with few exceptions, um, I have yet to be to like an epic buffet. Here's what I usually find. Lukewarm food that's okay or good um, in as much as I want. So it's not really about quality. It's about quantity. This isn't the best macaroni and cheese I've ever had, but I can have as much of it as I want. And some people look at Jesus and Christianity like that lukewarm buffet. We'll take the little parts that we like. We're never going to be fully satisfied, and, and we're just going to try to do a patchwork spirituality in our lives. And we'll add Jesus to the sayings of Buddha or to Taoism or to Mormonism or to Jehovah Witnessism or to Islam. And we'll just add them to – or just maybe vague spirituality where Jesus kind of fits the mold that I've set. That's when I'll incorporate him in my worship or in my spirituality. But where he doesn't fit, where he calls me to repent of my sin, where he actually calls me a sinner, I'm going to exclude that. That life is that lukewarm buffet where there's – you know, you could be getting E. coli for all you know. Um, 
that is not the life that Jesus died for. So we can live this lukewarm, middle of the road, one foot in, one foot out, vague spirituality life. In Revelations 3 and 15, um, Jesus has a lot to say about different churches of the area of this time where John is exiled to an island um, at 95 years of age. He has this vision. Jesus visits him. And he goes through this list of different churches uh, in the area at that time. And the last one is a church in a place called Laodicea. And Laodicea, um, I think, is Greek for America because they were basically Americans. They, they were so affluent that they didn't know they were sick. They were so well off that they didn't know how bad off they were. Because everything was kind of middle of the road, um, they didn't aspire for more. Because they didn't hurt, um, they didn't really reach out to God. And as a consequence, Jesus says this in, ch in chapter 3, verse 15, I know your works. That should be a scary thing. Jesus knows what we do, meaning, meaning if we are doing bad works, Jesus sees what we are doing. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus does not want you divided in your worship of him. In this right here, these people, they didn't see themselves as poor or sick spiritually. They thought because they had the money, because they had the wealth and the, and the, and the status in their community, and they had a good economy, and the roads were built, and nobody was really hurt, um, then why do they really even need God? Maybe, maybe they were Christians by name. Because, because being a Christian benefited them in the community. But when push came to shove, they weren't really Christians. They didn't really have faith in Christ. And Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I mean, I have to believe that Jesus likes a hot Christian. Um, but he said he'd even, he'd even take a cold Christian at that point. Don't try to mingle the two. Just be honest and say, you know what, Lord, I'm not there, man. I need your help. But don't lie to yourself. These guys were lying to themselves. These guys were just... Yeah, Jesus. And so I have to believe that if if that was their attitude attitude towards Christ, and Christ saw it as such a, a a detrimental thing that he had to call them out on it, then then it's an important thing for us to not just be vacillating right there in that middle, lukewarm. You know, you're you, you know the truth, but you're not really doing anything about it. Um, you might have valid reasons, but at the end of the day, you're just kind of indifferent. That's a dangerous area. Jesus says, I'm about ready to spit you out of my mouth. Probably to make you cold, if anything. I think spitting you out of his mouth, and I don't know exactly what that metaphor is supposed to mean. Um, I think about somebody drinking a cup of coffee, and it's just it's gross coffee, so you just spit it out, um, hoping to get more. Is that good coffee? That's kind of, well, I don't know that he was drinking coffee, so I'm kind of superimposing my thoughts and ideas my point is this he'd rather you be hot or cold if you're cold admit it lord i'm not there i don't i don't have faith that changes me right now but don't don't and if you're excited for jesus and amen praise god keep serving but if you're in the middle trying to pretend you're you're hot eh, jesus sees it he sees your works he's calling you to be something more in luke 4 and 8 it says that jesus answered him it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Luke chapter 4 is the temptation of Jesus in the desert. 
Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food, without drink, without company. All alone, nothing. How did he do it? He's Jesus. We don't do this. Um, if you came to me and said, the Lord told me to fast for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, I would, I would have you see a doctor. I really would. It's not that he can't do that. It's not that he wouldn't. I mean, he had Moses do it too. But my point is I would do everything in my power to make sure you were actually hearing from the Lord and not just impulsive or following a whim or that sort of thing. But in this scenario, Jesus did. Now, with very few exceptions, Jesus was generally around a lot of people. Maybe at night he'd go off to pray by himself. You know, at the end of the day, I like to think of him looking at the disciples like his kids. They're asleep. Okay, I can go off and pray. You know, I don't have to I don't have to be on top of them right now. I can just go be alone with the Father and pray. But for the most part, he was with, you know, either the multitudes or with the twelve disciples or with men like Peter, James, and John. This particular instance, though, he's by himself for a really long time. And that's when Satan attacks. And he'll do that with you too. When you're overtired, over hungry, uh, when you're overburdened, when it's the, the least convenient time for you to be attacked. That's when he will attack you. In my life, I've seen that manifest time and time again. I, ju I just want to go to bed. I just want a good meal. I just want some peace and quiet. Nope. Next thing you know, something's happening and you got to deal with it. And you have to go to the Lord and rebuke and all that. But the point is, don't be, don't be surprised when that happens. Satan is, is not – he doesn't play by the rules. He doesn't care that there are infants. He doesn't care that there are children or elderly or weak or, or hurt people. He's going to attack when it's most profitable for him. And the chance of catching you off guard is greater when you're overtired, overhungry, and all that stuff. So he comes after Jesus, and he tells Jesus to worship him. And this is Jesus' response. He quotes out of 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. He paraphrases, but more or less says what the Bible says in the Old Testament. You serve God, and you serve God alone. When Jesus is tempted to turn stones into bread, he tells Satan, man does not live on uh, uh, bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then when, he, when Satan offers him uh, all of the land, everything, Jesus basically says, get out of here. Quotes another scripture. I don't know which one it is. But um, my point is this. Jesus tells us. To put our faith in him alone. Now, so our part tonight is to be truthful with ourselves. Ask the Lord, open our eyes. Open my eyes to see where I am putting my faith elsewhere. Where I'm trying to have faith in, in you and something else. Where my faith is, um, maybe I don't see it as like life. Faith. Now, we're not talking about people who will go into the middle of nowhere with a Bible and a canteen full of soup and try to be a missionary in the middle of nowhere. Praise God for people who do that. All, we're, all I think the Lord is asking us to do right now is to be faithful to the church here that we are a part of, to read your word, to pray, and to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that mission in and of itself, that's a full plate. We don't have to go halfway around the world to prove our faith. We can simply live it out right here by loving others, by being kind to them, 
by not joining in the the rhetoric that we see on Facebook and Twitter nowadays, where whether it's political or or you know um, conspiracy theories or just the random gossip you see, by not being like the stereotype, but being more like Christ, no matter where we go, it it dumbfounds me. The people that I know that will be one way in person and then be another way on social media, as if they're they're different somehow. And uh, it's it's really not. Digital bravery is kind of a big problem. It's a whole other topic for another sermon. Um, my point is this. Where is our faith tonight? We'll, we'll at least next week look at faith again, different examples of faith in the Bible and what that means. A great example of faith is found in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. Um, you have the writer just going through different people who did this uh, based on their faith. Women like Rahab, the prostitute of the Old Testament. You have David and Gideon and, and just different people who, who did things because God told them to. You have the story of Abraham. We read the story of Abraham much too fast. There's so many things that happened in his life, and he had nothing to go on. We have the whole Bible. Abraham did not. He had the voice in the middle of the night, one random night, saying, Hey, follow me. I'll take you to a land that I have set apart for you to give you as an inheritance. He couldn't go back to the Word of God and say, well, let me see what the Word of God says. He simply had this encounter with God and, and exercised faith. And now we're told through the rest of the Bible that that's the kind of faith we're called to have. God speaks, says go, and we follow. That's the essence of, that's the simplicity of our faith. And so we see Abraham going. We see Isaac going, Jacob going. You know, Joshua and Moses and all the other guys of the Jonah and Daniel and all these other ones just going because God has told them, even the the disciples and and even countless Christians since then who have simply gone because God has said to go. We have this great command at the end of the book of Matthew. We call it the Great Commission, I believe it's chapter twenty seven, to go and to make disciples of all nations to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. We've been told to go. And we're, we don't have to go to the ends of the earth because technically we are on one of the ends of the earth. It's a circle, so there's no real corner. So no matter where we're at, we're at the ends of the earth. I, think that, I, I like to believe that maybe that was a little joke that the Lord threw in there. I don't know. But my point is this. We are at the ends of the earth. We can share the gospel where we're at right now. We can, we can learn more about our faith through reading the word and getting to know Jesus. But where are you at? Be honest with yourself. If you're not in a good place, start praying about that. If you, if you have faith in other things, ask the Lord to increase your faith, to help your unbelief. Faith and belief kind of are, I don't, they're not um, exactly the same, but they kind of work hand in hand. But your belief in Christ is, is, is your faith in Christ. And so you want to be just real honest with yourself. And I always start – I don't start with, I want to be honest with myself, Lord, help me. I say, Lord, help me to be honest with myself because I, I, I know I'll lie to myself. No, oh, I read plenty of Bible today. No, I prayed plenty today. No, I did this enough and that enough. And if I'm just honest with myself. I realize I did the bare minimum. You know, what I feel is the bare minimum for me. I, I, I just did the bare minimum. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go read the Word some more. I'm going to go pray some more. I'm going to see if I can help or serve somebody like uh, just pray for that. Just be real honest. So let's pray. Then we'll take our prayer requests. 
and then we'll go home. Amen? All right, Lord, um, we want to. We want to have this faith you've called us to. Your word calls us to have this exclusive faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And honestly, Lord, it's not we, – we live in a weird culture where there are so many things to put our faith in, um, things that aren't bad things, you know, like our families and, and, and good jobs and things like that. We have places where we can put our faith that aren't bad, but they're not you. And so, Lord, I, I, I believe that you've called us to this faith um, – one, so that we might be forgiven, but then also we, so we can see the world in its proper context and not exploit it, not hoard it, but, but love it in the, in the way that we would go and preach the gospel and enjoy the great creation you've given us. That though it's crooked and faulty and we are going to a new home, there's lots of joy to experience here, especially seeing the life of a new believer begin. So I pray, Lord, help me help us. To be honest with ourselves, where we are sinning, help us to see that as sin and to flee from it. Where we, where we are kind of in the middle like the Laodiceans and we're not hot, we're not cold, we're just kind of indifferent towards things. If, if, if church was removed from the face of the earth, we wouldn't even notice. Lord, if that's us, help us. Help us to, to get out of that place and get out of that place quickly. Help us to not incorporate or try to add to your perfect work. The word says you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. You complete it. There's nothing we need to do to make it better, stronger, more palatable, to make it more attractive. We simply are called to, to believe and proclaim. Help us to do that. Where we are weak, be our strength. Where we are faulty, correct us and make us strong. Where, where, where we are and, and, and we just don't want to be, help us to see the beauty and the joy of that moment in this this part of the ends of the earth. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.